Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda! This is episode 98, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Iggy the Fool, and Gebs Endol, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. And duel? And duel. We had to look this up before we started recording, because I was like, is it Nduel? Is it Nduel? What, what is it? But I think you said it's Nduel. Yeah, because then it, it makes it rhyme. Iggy the Fool and Gebs and Duel. And I think that's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, the introduction of Iggy and Enduel means we are now in the latter half, the second half of Stardust Crusaders. So that's that's big. Big changes all around because we're adding a Crusader. Um, we have a new OP, a new ED, and we are now going into, is it the Nine Egyptian Gods? Yes. Okay. So we're going from the tarot cards to the nine Egyptian gods for Dio's uh, enemy stand user army. So yeah, His big last changes. line of defense. Yeah. So a lot of big changes here. Um, and this is a very important episode because it introduces Iggy. It kind of brings us into the start of the latter half of Stardust Crusaders. And yeah, I don't know. It almost like watching this to me kind of signals the beginning of the end of this part but it's really not the case because we have like a significant amount of episodes to go through yeah i mean the the photo the iconic photo that's taken for me looking at it now i feel like that was almost like a a sign of things to come like commemorate this moment because this group is never going to be the same after this. Yeah, because after this, shit hits the fan yeah. <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> yeah, but I guess for this to begin what is called the Battle in Egypt arc for Stardust Crusaders, it's a pretty pretty soft intro to this arc. I mean, it, it takes from it, that two-part episode that was kind of established in the later half of the first part of this uh, this part three. Um, but yeah, I think the significant thing is that Iggy is introduced and we don't really get to see his ability with the fool put into action much. Um, but I think that's something that's going to be reserved for part two of this arc. Yeah, I completely forgot that. What you had mentioned about the Crusaders finally reaching Egypt. That's another key thing that's signaled here in this episode. I mean, technically... They reached Egypt in the last episode at the end of the first half of part three. Um, but this is like more significant because they're there in Egypt. They're gearing up to um, go find Dio. And yeah, it definitely is a turning point. But I think the most exciting part, maybe for everyone else but me, is the new OP in the ED. You think that's the most exciting part? Isn't it? I don't know. Do people, okay. Don't people love the OP? Like this one specifically? Yeah, or am I wrong? Oh, I always thought it was like the weaker of. I mean, I the thought so too. Three. But like every time, okay, I'll I'll spoil it now. But I don't of all the JoJo OPs and EDs, these are probably my least favorite. Mm. Like across the board. Okay. So I... <laughs> that's why I was like, every time I say that to to another JoJo fan, they're like, "What? You don't like the part three second OP?" What what is the fucking song? Why why is it escaping? Sonochino Kyoku. Yeah, okay. I always get it, of course, mixed up with Sonochino Sadame. But yeah, I always feel like people find it surprising that I'm not as into this OP or this ED, which is the last train home. Yes. 
And I'm just like, I don't know, like, they're okay, but there's much better OPs and EDs out there in the JoJo world. Yeah, I agree with you on the OP front, um, but I I love the Last Train Home ED. Uh, I think we mentioned this when we were talking about our favorite OPs and EDs from JoJo, um, but we'll we'll briefly talk about the opening and ending um, during our discussion. But yeah, I, I just don't recall anyone saying that they loved this op so maybe we were talking to different circles (laughs) (laughs) all right jojo fans what are you waiting for because we're about to crusade into our synopsis and discussion for part three episode 25 iggy the fool and gebs and duel part one it's time for the crusaders to finally walk like an egyptian as they cruise through the land of the pharaohs to rendezvous with a speed waifu foundation chopper for an important delivery a dinky devilish dog named iggy recruited as the group's newest joe bro because adding an animal to the group instead of another human being makes absolute fucking sense while man's bestofrendo takes pleasure in punishing polnareff's pompous persona with his sandy stand zafool Josephu learns that Holly's two weeks away from her date with death, and so they commemorate the morbid occasion by taking a group Polaroid together before they resume their journey. Unbeknownst to them, one of Dio's dastardly disciples Redux, and Dula Ablangada, keeps his blind eye on the group from a distance and grabs their attention after violently incapacitating the speed waifu copter and its pilots using his stand's Avatar the Way of Water ability. The boys do their best to search for the enemy stand user amongst the Prince of Persia Sands of Time when Kukyuin's vision goes from 2020 to empty empty thanks to Andula's sneaky sneakster attack, which alerts them to the stand's reaction to things that go boom while the group piles onto their off-roader that slowly sinks through the suffocating sands out of a stupefied sense of safety. Iggy takes the smart opportunity to jump out of the vehicle and into a sunbathed nap. And soon enough, Endula Ablangata will discover that his day is about to get a little rough. And now on to our next segment of the show, Zeta Music and or Tarot Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. I feel like this is the last time we will get a significant tarot reference, at least not until Dio um, later on. Um, so I think i'm gonna have to change this to egyptian god reference (laughs) with the start of this new arc um but we'll start off with a music reference and that's with the newest addition to the stardust crusaders iggy our favorite jojo dog's name is a reference to iggy pop an american singer musician songwriter actor and radio broadcaster best known as the singer for proto-punk band the stooges and titled the godfather of punk Some of Iggy Pop's more well-known hits include I Want to Be Your Dog, which seems fitting for his JoJo counterpart, Candy, which also seems fitting for his JoJo counterpart, and Search and Destroy, which isn't fitting for his JoJo JoJo counterpart, but this is a classic song that I played on Guitar Hero that I fondly remember. Um, So some fun facts with Iggy. Araki chose the Boston Terrier breed for Iggy because it was easier to to depict a black and white dog in manga form. Um, and just a fun fact from us personally, when we went to the Jojo Ramen shop in Osaka for our last trip, 
the owner had served a bowl of ramen with an Iggy figure on, on the tray for a boy who had come to the ramen shop with his dad. And I thought that was kind of sweet, except he only did this because he... The TV that was playing in the shop was playing the episode of Iggy's Death. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think it was a somewhat of a fond memory that I have with Iggy. <laughs> Next reference we have is with the enemy stand user, Endul. His name is a reference to Yusu Endur, a Senegalese singer, songwriter, musician, composer, occasional actor, businessman, and politician. What a resume. What the hell? Politician? <laughs> <laughs> uh, known as one of the most celebrated African musicians in his- history who has collaborated with such Western music icons as Sting, Tracy Chapman, and Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen among others. Uh, and Duel's blind warrior characteristic is based on the eponymous character of the Zatoichi movies. Last reference we have is a tarot reference with Iggy's stand, The Fool. And of course, this is a reference to The Fool, an unnumbered card in the traditional tarot deck that represents new beginnings, having faith in the future, being inexperienced, not knowing what to expect, having beginner's luck, and improv improvisation and believing in the universe while its reversed card can indicate such things as chaos folly lack of direction naivete poor judgment and stupidity which i guess are possibly all qualities that are found one way or another in man's best friend yeah i feel like hearing hearing the list you just shared i feel like the chaotic piece of it, the unexpected piece of it, that's very much Iggy because this the Crusaders have no idea what to how to deal with Iggy because he's mm-hmm. pretty erratic, at least in the early parts of uh, part three, part two, part two of part three. <laughs> part three, part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like that that is very fitting for Iggy's personality. Last piece of trivia related to the Fool and I guess to Iggy as well is the fact that Iggy's stand uses the Fool tarot card as its namesake may be an allusion to The Idiot, which was the 1977 debut solo album by Iggy Pop. Alternatively, it could be an allusion to The Stooges, which is again the band Iggy Pop was frontman for until 1974. So Araki did his research, I guess. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I have just one, but it's a good one. And it also doubles as our mini segment for iconic poses. And that's the Crusaders group photo. This one has been memed a lot. Um, It got memed a lot during that, that brief period of history where everyone was going to storm Area 51. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a wild time. Yeah, I mean, more commonly, you see it um, in memes where there's just the caption saying, me and the boys on the way to kill Dio, or it's like, me and the boys on the way to do whatever. But when the Area 51 thing was uh, was going viral, it was like, me and the boys before entering Area 51, and then it shows the crusaders in that iconic photo and then me and the boys leaving area 51 and it's the last shot of 
uh, Joseph and Jotaro walking away from Polnareff at the airport when uh, the other crusaders don't survive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I will share these memes in the discourse. You guys can see them. But as I mentioned, this does double as one of our iconic poses because the crusaders in that group photo is iconic. They may not be doing the most flashy Jojo poses, but it's still iconic to me. I mean, you got Polnareff, who's for some reason holding Joseph's chin. So I guess that's something. But this one's a good one. And it's so good that when we first started podcasting, we were decorating our podcast table, putting figures up, and we were thinking, like, what else can we decorate our podcast area with? And Carl had the really good idea to print a copy of the Crusaders photo, and we have it <laughs> framed on our podcast table. So it's still here and it's going to stay here. Yeah, I feel at some point we should just frame it in our place somewhere like on a wall and just see if any of our family members notice. Or like tuck it, like actually keep the, the standing frame, but then put it in the middle of our like family photos that we have yeah. like on our shelf. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a little more discreet. So when someone's casually looking at all of our family photos, they'll be like, wait, what the fuck is this one? <laughs> But as always, if we missed any memes from this episode, please reach out and let us know. So I think before we talk about the episode proper, I think this is a good time to go back to our discussion about the new OP for this Battle in Egypt arc of Stardust Crusaders. And once again, the title for the song uh, is, it's actually Jojo Sonochino Kyoku, not Sonochino Kyoku, uh, but Jojo Sonochino Kyoku end of the world which translates to jojo that bloods memories end of the world performed by joe stars and joe stars is not a an established music group it's actually a group that consists of the three singers for the jojo ops up until this point in the series so you have hiroaki or tommy tominaga from part one koda from part two and Jean Hashimoto from part three. So I think despite, we've briefly talked about this, despite the epic collaboration and the tone of impending doom in this song's musical composition, I would say this, I, I would say this isn't a fan favorite amongst all the JoJo openings, but I think we've we've had differing, uh, differing circumstances about that. Yeah, as I mentioned, it is one of my least favorite OPs in JoJo. Um, I I still have parts of it I enjoy. I still love and appreciate how they start off the OP with callbacks to the previous parts. That's fantastic. It's the first time we get a good look at Iggy because we do technically see him in the previous episode, but it's the first time it's like like full Iggy, like full on Iggy, even before he's introduced in the actual episode. And then um, I do love the part of the song where they say like, ha, ha, or whatever. And it goes from all of the Crusaders standing in a line. And at the last ha, their stands pop out. I love that part. I think that's really, really cool. And then, of course, the Oda Oras at the end of the song. That's really awesome. Yeah. And there were a couple of great visual motifs in this opening. Uh, in the beginning, you know, where it has that kind of ominous introduction as it goes through the generations of jojos that are fighting against dio um you have these the clock 
motifs and the gears. I feel like that kind of just symbolizes fate and and destiny. I thought it symbolized the world's power to stop time. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Okay, then I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it could symbolize both. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, it's almost like uh, a visual representation of fate um, with time or like the clocks here um, as we know that the Joestars are always destined to rally and fight against Dio. Um, and then the, the faded stairway shot on their arrival in Egypt. I think that's my favorite shot of this, where it's like a couple shadows pass along as you see the Crusaders just standing on that stairway. I have to pay attention next time to the order in which they're standing. I don't know if that's of any significance. Polnareff's the first one, I think. Oh, because he? he's the only one that was actually on those steps and then couldn't move. <laughs> okay, because I don't or know. Then he, he couldn't move. He he tried to ascend them and kept going back down. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I didn't know if like it was an indicator of like who was fated to die <laughs> in this part. Um, but yeah, I'll just have to pay attention, closer attention next time. Uh, yeah, you've start platinum signature punching at the end of the OP, and like you said, the auras from each of the lead singers um that's always a fun part to listen to but yeah, overall I, I think this ranks lower at least on my list of jojo ops and as for the new ed for this part we have last train home performed by american jazz fusion band pat metheny group um it's a very simple ed in visual style and aesthetic. Um, it's just kind of like a scrolling panel of the Crusaders going from the desert where it's filled with sand and billboards for some reason to being on board an actual train, I guess, towards their arrival in Egypt. Or like, I forget if at any point in the second half they take the train anywhere. I think we talked about this before like there was do they no... ever take a train yeah <laughs> but they, they take a train in the first half of stardust crusaders yeah but i don't maybe. know about this second half <laughs> um and then it ends with footsteps in the sand that are kind of swept by the desert winds i don't know if that kind of signifies the end of this journey but you have the last shot of jotaro walking away in the desert as we see the polaroid photo that features prominently um, in this episode close out the ending uh, I love this ending. It's one of my favorite ones because of its sort of reflective and retrospective nature. And it's one of the things where if you hear this come, I don't know if this song gets played on the radio at all, but on our Spotify playlist, I hear this song and I just immediately think of the end of Stardust Crusaders and it just puts me in that somber mood. But one that was like, that was a good journey. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's still one of my least favorites. I don't know if it's because it's more chill than the rest, but I just think about some of the other amazing JoJo EDs we have, like Roundabout is fucking iconic. Um, freaking You. Yeah, freaking You is great. Okay, that <laughs> okay. one, I can't wait to talk about that when we get to part five. Freaking You is like so unexpected in the greatest way. Um, a Chicken Cherry Cola from part four. What's the actual <laughs> song title? Yeah, Chicken no, Cherry Cola? You... you <laughs> You made me Savage, blank on Savage Garden. Like Savage Garden. <laughs> duh. What the hell? I want you. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I want you. Chicken Cherry Cola. Like, those are great EDs. This one is like, 
chill. I don't know. Like it's it's like almost too chill for what I'd expect JoJo to do. But I guess it's good to have that variety. Um, but one of the things I forgot about this ED because I rarely ever listen to it or rewatch it is that we have a rare moment when we see Jotaro without his hat on. He's holding it. Oh, he is? Yeah, there's like one of the still images where I think maybe they're on the campfire and Jotaro's holding his hat, but he happens to be holding the hat from the back end, so we can't tell if it's a half hat or hair hat. Oh, all right. So the mystery continues. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll never know at this point. I wonder if that was just like, tongue-in-cheek yeah like for... they knew they're like we can't show you what the back of the yeah. hat is really like also i just love that there's like a percussion in the back of this song that makes it sound like a train yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, they I knew just, what they were doing yeah as much as you say like it's a chill song i think yeah the vibes are chill for this song but i think it's just the emotions that wall up inside me that make this a more significant OP, or sorry, a significant ED out of the other ones from JoJo. Well, diving into the episode, as always, we're checking to see if they use JoJo as the nickname for Jotaro. I don't recall a JoJo in this episode, do you? No, not really. So we may be getting away from when they officially stop calling the main JoJo the nickname Jojo, but who knows? Maybe it'll pop up. We'll keep an eye out for that. As we look into the actual episode, um, the opening camera work is on fire. It reminds me of the very first episode of Stardust Crusaders when we get introduced to Jotaro and it like pans through the city. And then you got Holly walking with those um, prison guards or the police officers. And like the camera work is amazing as the characters are walking, the camera's like panning around. You get that here with this first episode of the second half of Stardust Crusaders. It's a very clever cut, though. It is. Because the panning shot or whatever, it starts off with CG models of the Crusaders. Well, even before that, you're looking up at the sun. It pans down at the desert landscape and then mm -hmm. does like a spinning move. You see the Crusaders from the distance and it zooms in across the sand to them. And yes, they are in CG. <laughs> yeah. If you look really close, they're in CG. But then as it like pans around to the front of them, it switches to 2D animation. Focus on Jotaro. Yes. And it's like, it's so good. Like they were, they were going hard with this camera work to reintroduce us like back into Stardust Crusaders. And I love it. I feel like in some of the recent episodes, we've gotten less of that unique camera work for that we always have in Stardust Crusader so it is nice to see that returning yeah it makes sense for a grand reintroduction into the series uh, just going back to this episode's actual release there was a four-month gap between the previous episode which came out September 2014 and then episode 25 here which came out January 2015 when part three first aired on tv it just makes me think it would have been so fun to experience this part firsthand because this is such an epic journey. And again, that's highlighted with this epic camera angle shot thing <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> of this episode. 
The Crusaders are looking out into the distance, um, looking out at the fucking desert. They're probably like, oh my God, we have to traverse this whole desert. And then a helicopter is seen coming towards them. You got Polnareff freaking out over it. And I love the part where he's like, oh my God, it's a helicopter. And Kakyoin's like, yeah, no shit, it's a helicopter. <laughs> I think he tells him like, calm down, no no shit, it's a helicopter. It's just great because Polnareff is freaking out all the time about everything and Kakyoin is usually pretty level-headed, but I think he's starting to get tired of Polnareff just over-sensationalizing the smallest things. Isn't it weird though that I guess they're just standing here? You would have thought joseph would have briefed them on what was going on unless like polnareff just it was in one ear out the other and then he saw the helicopter and was like whoa no i think the crusaders didn't know they were all pretty surprised by the speedwagon foundation about iggy because when oh, he told right, them yeah. about iggy mm-hmm. they were all like what except for abdul who had already met iggy because he's the one that cap- captured iggy i think yeah. he says that in this episode like he was part of the, yeah. the team that captured iggy so yeah i think they didn't know ahead of time. But that's been common. Like, they didn't know about the submarine and a bunch of other stuff. It's Joseph pulling strings and keeping them in the dark about it. Okay. That's true. I didn't think of that aspect of it. But I I figure, like, Joseph would at least say, oh, something's coming. He, Joseph tends to be the one who enjoys the theatrics of things so he probably wants them to freak out <laughs> it's probably like this is gonna be cool i'm gonna not tell him about it and see how they react yeah i mean of course polnareff would fall for the bait the first one out of the group to do that <laughs> well as they approach joseph says it's the Speedwagon foundation that's going to meet with them and Jotaro confirms if it's the same organization that is taking care of his mom that joseph also has connections with from back in the day and joseph says yes and then as the helicopter is about to land, Jotaro says, please tell me we're not taking that helicopter. Probably because Joseph is with them and they've crashed already like multiple times. So he's probably like, let's not get into the fucking helicopter. No more flying on this journey. And then luckily Joseph's like, no, we're not taking that. Um, but he does say that he doesn't want the Speedwagon crew to get hurt since they're not stand users. And that's a red flag if I've ever heard one. Even the first time I watched this episode, I'm like, those guys are going to die. Yeah, I mean, as soon as he said it, like, I knew they were going to fucking die. Even the first time I watched this episode, <laughs> it was inevitable. Because, of course, there has to be an enemy stand user nearby that fucks everything up. So then Joseph alludes to a new member of the Crusaders joining. Um, no, it's not Whole Horse, even though that's who Araki originally thought of to join the Crusaders. But it is, in fact, Iggy. And Joseph tells them a little bit about Iggy. Um, the Speedwagon guys are like, yeah, the guy's in the back. Um, and they're all in disbelief that a dog is joining them. But then Avil at one point tells Polnareff he wouldn't be able to beat Iggy. I think this is before they find out that it's a dog. But Avdil says, Polnareff, you wouldn't be able to beat Iggy. And Polnareff gets all pissed at him and puts his hands on Avdil. And Avdil's like, bro, you're hurting me. What the fuck's your problem? And in my mind, I'm thinking, Polnareff, didn't you learn anything from when you argued with Avdol and then you thought he died? You were so distraught over that. Avdol came back to life, quote unquote. You were so happy about it. And then here you are about to fight Avdol just because he's being factual that Polnareff wouldn't be able to beat Iggy. Yeah, again, I think it's like Polnareff, it's always in one ear, out the other. Here, it's like he he forgot the fact that Avdol had nearly died 
a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and it's just pulling everything back to being a fool. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, then they they officially get introduced to Iggy in the best way. But before we jump into that, I do want to ask the question, and it's something that I've always wondered. Araki seems to hate dogs. Like that's the meme. That's the the meta in the JoJo fandom is that Araki hates dogs. He's killed off every single dog he's ever introduced into the anime um, or into the story, except for the one dog in part six who miraculous miraculously survived and was unscathed. But it is interesting that Araki hates dogs, but made a dog a Jobro, one of the most beloved Jobros. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I read somewhere that. Araki created Iggy. I read it on the, the JoJo wiki um, because he wanted to add a pet to the group. That's. But of all the animals he could have picked, yeah. he picked a dog, even though he seems to hate dogs. I mean, in the end, he kills off Iggy, as we all know. Yeah, so, so he's, it's, he's sticking it's to his still guns. part of but, the trope, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting to me that he picked a dog. I wonder, like, if he wanted to add a pet, I wonder if it's because people really love dogs. And in the practical sense, dogs tend to be the ones that can be used for whatever how do i describe this like dogs can be trained to be useful out in like the field right like they Mm -hmm. they can do that you could do that with a cat it's just far less common and probably more difficult so you could make iggy a cat but i'm sure it'd be very difficult to like get the cat to be a crusader and to fight alongside them and to follow commands versus a dog. Not that Iggy follows commands anyway. <laughs> He's kind of his own dog, but mm-hmm. maybe that's why. Maybe a dog was just a natural fit for the audience, even though Araki <laughs> probably hates them. Yeah, and maybe it's kind of a full circle thing. Thinking back to part one, when Jonathan had Danny as a pet, um, kind of just linking dogs to Jojo. I can't think of a, a if there was a dog in part two that was significant. Um but yeah, I also wanna think or wanna assume that Araki may have gotten some backlash about how he treated dogs in Jojo. And so he decided, you know what, I'll I'll make a dog a main character to kind of appease to everyone. But like you said, it, he he ends up dying in the end anyways. Maybe he so. was like, guys, no, it's okay. I don't hate dogs. Here, I, I'm giving you a dog, Joe Bro. But then at the end of part three, he's like, got him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm killing him anyway. And I know I explained like the Boston Terrier was easier to, to draw uh, manga wise. But it's, it's such a, there could have been so many other dogs that he could have drawn that felt a little bit more masculine than a, a, t- a Boston Terrier, but I think that's almost like a, what do you call it? Like, I think there's a Napoleon kind of complex to Iggy, which makes him more entertaining because you know, he's a tiny dog, but you know he has a big personality. And speaking of drawing Iggy, <laughs> bro, Iggy's introduction is ugly Iggy. Dude, he looks so nasty. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. The eyes are too human, but then as the the part goes on, at least they 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 clean it up. But it's interesting that you know David Production decided to purposely draw Iggy with the ugly eyes at first. Yeah, and is then... that is that manga Iggy? 
Because like, I've mm. seen that version of Iggy elsewhere. I just don't know if that's the official version, like the the ugly Iggy, if that's the official version for him in the manga. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not well-versed in the JoJo manga. I, I'm trying to look up photos, and I just found one of, of the manga Iggy where it does have really horrendous human eyes i don't you know i don't know if this is a, his first appearance but i feel like you know as as a kind of nod to the manga readers they wanted to be consistent with how iggy first appeared and then kind of follow his gradual change in design as the second half went on yeah it's almost like iggy's initial design is more a literal version of a boston terrier like how they actually look in real life and then they decided to make him more animeified. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he nasty looking. I just don't like it. I don't know if other people like the original Iggy or ugly Iggy. I think he looks nasty. So I'm glad that uh, in subsequent episodes we'll be able to talk about regular Iggy. But we have to acknowledge the fact that we do have ugly Iggy in the first episode before um, he is redesigned. And in his introduction, to couple with the fact that he's ugly as fuck, we do learn that he has personality issues. Um, He is basically a sundere dog. He likes to rip out hair and fart in Polnareff's face. Um, And then we get to see the fool in action pretty pretty much right off the bat um, because he's, yeah, he's pissed. He's, He's a pissed off dog. What I find interesting is that Avdol says it's, simply a stand made of sand to which Jotaro then replies saying the simpler they are the tougher they are that's definitely something that the crusaders have learned through their journey is that the more complex the stand usually the trade-off is it's not as strong but here because Iggy's stand is literally just made of sand according to Abdul it's going to be a really tough I was going to say enemy (laughs) a really tough stand to fight yeah I mean especially advantageous um, in like this arid Egyptian desert, and as they continue on throughout Egypt, because uh, yeah, that made me wonder like why, why this dog of all possibilities for a new member for the group? But I think it's because of the environment that the Crusaders are in that Iggy is capable of really helping them out in sticky situations in Egypt. It's also funny how Polnareff is kind of the first person to greet although he kind of just brushes Iggy off at first uh I think he calls his stand like that card sounds like an idiot <laughs> yeah <laughs> talking about they're talking about the fool uh, you know looking at look in the mirror Polnareff <laughs> but um yeah he, he's the first one to have like this animosity towards Iggy in Iggy's introduction but then it's just funny thinking about that especially knowing what happens with both of them later on in their fight against, uh, was it Vanilla Ice? Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. you bring up a really interesting thing that plays into my theory that Polnareff is the most tragic character in all of JoJo. Um, everyone that he befriends very closely tends to die. So at first he was frenemies with Avdol and then became really close with Avdol. Mm-hmm. Abdul dies. He was frenemies with Iggy. And then I think throughout the last part of Stardust Crusaders, Iggy and Polnareff grow very, very close, even if they don't want to admit it. And then Iggy dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then at the end of Stardust Crusaders, he says goodbye to Jotaro and Joseph. But then we learn um, in part five that 
the time period in between, he and Jotaro reunite and work to find the stand arrows. And lo and behold, Jotaro dies in part six. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's like Polnareff is cursed. He Every friend he makes uh, is gone. And I guess that starts with his sister. Sharon, yeah, his right? sister. Oh, yeah, my God, Pol. Yeah, as, much, as stupid as Polnareff is, you can't help but feel bad for the guy because he's been through some shit. But then it's like he just gets over it. Like I said earlier with Avdol, forgetting that he almost died and just goes back to being an idiot. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what makes Polnareff a more lovable character in JoJo. Another big question I have about Iggy is why coffee-flavored gum as his favorite snack? Like, that seems so random. Like, fine, if you want to have the dog love candy of some sort, like, it could be literally anything, Araki. You could pick anything. Maybe not chocolate, because we all know that chocolate is poisonous to dogs. But you could pick anything. But not not only do you pick gum of all things, you pick coffee-flavored gum. Have you ever seen coffee-flavored gum in real life? I don't think I have. I've seen chocolate-flavored gum, but I've never seen coffee-flavored. I just Googled uh, coffee-flavored gum, and apparently there is a brand called Simply Gum that makes coffee-flavored gum. I don't know if they were inspired by JoJo at, at all, but I guess, yeah, prior to this, I haven't heard, like, what bubblicious or <laughs> trident or any of those gum brands make something with a coffee flavor in it maybe they had it in japan and it was rocky's favorite i don't know but that that to me is maybe one of the most random things about iggy is the fact that his favorite snack is coffee flavored gum well, like then, why not just coffee right <laughs> yeah but then i looked up can you give a dog gum hell no yeah i'm reading here again from google uh it contains a, a chemical i guess called xylitol which is so toxic to dogs that just one stick of gum may contain enough of the ingredient to poison a small dog. yeah it's super dangerous so, plus gum itself is dangerous because it's not technically supposed swallow, to be digested yeah. and yeah i mean i guess can dogs even poop out gum? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. I guess that shows how tough Iggy is. He can have coffee-flavored gum and be unfazed by it. Oh, and then, of course, um, after Iggy and Polnareff have their little tussle, I have to acknowledge the way that Polnareff fixes his hair and the reverse sound effect plays. He just, like, rubs it up and down. Kind of what he's done before when his hair gets messed up and the reverse sound effects play and then it just goes back to normal that was kind of funny but then the speedwagon foundation guys um are about to leave they give the crusaders their supplies and then they also hand over a hand over no pun intended a new hand for joseph and i completely forgot that joseph was missing his hand from what the fuck was the last stand um I'm looking at mine uh high priestess oh yeah yeah um so when high priestess chops off his hand in the first part of that arc his he still has a stump and so i went back in the episode and you do actually see it's not obvious but when you see joseph standing there it is just like a stump of a wrist the whole time oh okay yeah, i didn't catch that i just knew that the uh, the pilots gave joseph a a new camera for his spirit pictures yeah that too and they gave them food and water and whatever sorts of supplies 
Um, not that it's going to last long, but yeah, they do give them something before flying away. And then they take the again, the iconic photo that we talked about earlier, which it's interesting because Jotaro is looking at this and he gets a he gives off a, a rare grunt and a very slight grin. Yeah, that that's super rare. I mean, it's the tiniest smile you'll ever see. But yes, he gives a smile while looking at the photo fondly, showing us that he is, in fact, I guess, enjoying the trip on some level, but connecting with the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. And before, technically before they fly off, they do give a status update to Joseph on Holly's um, situation. They say that she's not doing very well. Um, but they also mentioned that during one of their missions to find Dio, they saw nine people with him. And we all know those people to be the nine Egyptian gods. Um, and then whoever was looking for Dio got off, so they don't know where Dio is at this point. And then they fly off. It's interesting that Avdol says he has no idea what the remaining nine stands could be in reference to. I think they established that the tarot stands are all out, except for the world, which they assume Dio has, or at least Kakuin determines that Dio has the world stand. But we've said this earlier that there are nine main Egyptian gods, and Avdol's Egyptian, right? Like, why wouldn't he just know this offhand maybe he didn't put two and two together i don't know normally he's Mm -hmm. on top of that stuff but yeah maybe it just slipped his mind but then i also read that there are over two thousand deities that the ancient egyptians worshipped so Ah, okay (laughs) that could have thrown him for a loop but again it's established here at least or that we know that it's nine egyptian gods that are being used in these stands then we take a break with the eye catch for this episode. Actually, before the eye catch, just one detail. Um, when Iggy smells a presence out in the desert and it's revealed to be the next enemy stand user, um, Endul, he references the Nile Wewe fly, which is the exact insect that what Joseph and the crew were able to pinpoint as indicative of where Dio is located in the world yeah he actually says that when the fly is buzzing around him I think he says this is the fly that led the crusaders to Dio yeah or to Egypt so come in full circle mm-hmm. but like you said moving on to stand stats we have the fool whose destructive power is at B speed at C range at D durability at C precision and accuracy at D and development potential at C. So I guess looking at these stats, it's not a very competitive stand, but again, I think it's just advantageous for the fact that the Crusaders are in Egypt and in this desert environment, so it'll be pretty useful in that sense. Uh, In terms of the Fool's face design and color scheme, it kind of reminds me of from the Crash Bandicoot video games, the Aku Aku mask that you can get as like an extra health power up. Um, I don't know if any of you have played Crash Bandicoot out there, but you can let me know if that also syncs up with your memory. Um, Otherwise I can really find any real trivia about like the inspiration for the fool's character design. It has wheels though, right? 
Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird design. It's like car in the back, dog in the front. (laughs) (laughs) As we jump back into the episode, uh, Joseph's driving stops abruptly because they find that the Speedwagon Foundation helicopter has crashed. The one pilot is dead. There's claw marks on the side of the helicopter, even though it's made of fucking metal. And you can, oh God, this is nasty. You can see when they zoom into the, the pilot's hands that his nails peeled off because of how hard he was scraping at the side uh. of the helicopter. I know it's fucking nasty. Um, and this is where the the scary elements, the ho- horror elements start. Because as we know, throughout Stardust Crusaders, Iraqi pulls a lot of inspiration from scary movies, classic scary movies. I don't know really what this would be referencing, but it definitely has like the scary elements kicking in once they realize there's an enemy stand user after them, um, including the one Speedwagon Foundation guy who's still alive uh, a bit farther away from the helicopter. You have the Crusaders trying to help him. They think he's asking for water. Obviously, he's trying to tell them that the water is the stand. And then when he looks in the canteen, he's like freaking out. It's like flashing back and forth between his face, the canteen. It's like building up. And then he is is screaming, the water's going to attack. And then it's crazy. Like the water comes out, right? The the fucking hand comes out, rips his head off by clawing at his face skin. And then just like chopping off his head. Of course, the the shit is censored. I don't know why. (laughs) Just show us what's going on here. And then sucks the entire head into the canteen. I'm like, that is fucking wild. This reminds me of High Priestess's introduction where it changes from the mug into the stand and like goes after Joseph. It's like zero to 100. It's really, Mm -hmm. really well done. I wanted to find the uncensored version of this, maybe like the Blu-ray version, um, because it's really hard to see the gruesome details by how much is censored in the streaming version. Um, But yeah, I I mean, you can kind of tell that it's really gnarly. Uh, the question I had though is, is Endul able to manifest like a fish since he can also like manipulate water through his sand's ability? Because remember, it's they see the, the fish come out of was it the guy's mouth or something? Yeah, what the fuck was that all about? I don't know actually. I figured it was just water. Yeah, like the unless, sand is just water, but there's a fucking fish there. Yeah, it's like Endul had this little fish that he wanted to throw in. Um, to give the Crusaders a hint that, oh, it's a water-based enemy stand. But I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just funny to think that he went through all this effort to put a fish in the guy's mouth I to wanna, tip them off. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the stand really quick because I was trying to figure out like how the stand can be hard enough to cut the way that it does. Like I get the stand is water and it's shaped into claws. But when water actually touches something else, it's not going to be solid. It's not going to be able to slice through something unless, because I know there are machines out there that can fire water with enough pressure that it can like cut through something, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. all seen that. Maybe not we've all seen that, but that is something that exists out there. So I don't know if we're saying like when the stand attacks somebody, it's attacking with the force strong enough to cause the water, which is not solid, to at least be able to pierce something, like from the pressure of it, right? Like you know how well, think I am, of like, like a like a firefighter hose. Yeah, like enough pressure yeah. to. That's what I'm thinking is the only logical way that the stand would be able to do what it does. But then mm-hmm. it has to always attack 
in like bursts. It can't just like prolong attack something because then the water wouldn't have any pressure behind it. I don't know. This mm-hmm. is me being like my my very analytical self. I'm like, how does that actually work? But then again, stands don't function in the world of logic because Araki also doesn't sometimes use logic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but before the uh, stand is actually like, we, we, before we see how the stand actually works, you've got the Crusaders um, jumping back from the canteen, trying to scope it out. Kakyoin and Polnareff are away from the rest of the Crusaders. And I don't know what is with Kakyoin in this episode because earlier he was telling Polnareff like, yeah, no shit, it's a fucking helicopter. When they're looking at the canteen, he tells Polnareff to attack it. And then Polnareff's like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I can't reach it. Like, so what am I supposed to do? And he's like, Kakyoin, why don't you do it? And he's like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, what is your problem, Kakyoin? weird back and forth yeah. between these characters. <laughs> it's very unlike Kakyoin in this episode, but I like it. It's funny. It's kind of just him, like, not dealing with anyone's shit today. He doesn't want to deal with Polnareff's shit today. So he's like, no, I don't want to attack it. You do it. And they're going back and forth about it, arguing, because Polnareff's like, bro, don't tell me to attack it when you don't even want to attack it. But as they're distracted by that, that's when the stand manifests next to Kakyoin. They realize it a little too late, and the stand claws Kakyoin's eyes out. Well, it claws his eyes. I guess it doesn't claw his eyes out. As we learn later, he's still fine. You no, know, this shocked me initially because, like, oh man, is Kakyoin gonna be blind for the rest of part three? But no, it's it's not the case. Look, could you? Open your eyes if they're... No. I guess the bleeding and the wound itself would be too much. Yeah, I feel like he explains it a little bit when he rejoins the Crusaders. So we'll have to... I can't remember what the explanation is, um, but we'll have to wait until he makes his resurgence um, in Stardust Crusaders. But then the claw, Endul, starts going for the car, and the car tips over. The, the Crusaders are panicking. There's that one really good shot where the Crusaders are all clinging on for dear life. Polnareff, I think, is holding Kakyoin's um, unconscious body. And if you look closely, Jotaro is hanging by one hand, and the other hand is in his fucking pocket, as always. <laughs> he's so casual as he's clinging on for dear life. He's got to look cool. I know, right? He loves putting his hands in his pockets. I don't know what, what's up with that. But yeah, he, he doesn't let anything stop him from doing that. So another logic defying moment i want to call out here is there are several instances like with kakuin and polnareff arguing um that summons the stand to them um there's also the dead pilot's watch alarm that goes off um which causes the stand to chop off that hand so i think it's established and the group kind of realizes that the stand is attracted to sound which makes sense within the context of Endul because he's a he's a walking blind warrior trope. Wait, is he named Endul or is he Geb? No, the the stand's name is Geb. I think that's one of the Egyptian gods. Endul is the character. The then why is the episode title Geb's Endul? Iggy the Fool. And Geb's Endul. <laughs> I have no... I think they just wanted to do the, the, the clever rhyming thing there. Um, that's weird okay that confused yeah. me I thought the stand was called Endul but yeah, it's funny that the stand reacts to sound but then it's not reacting to these cr- crusaders screaming about 
how they figure out how the stand works or like how they have to defeat it, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's because they're up on the car and the stand can't reach them there, which is why it's dragging the car into the sand. But you're right. I was I was wondering the same thing. I mean, that's how it found Polnareff and Kakyoin when they were arguing about who's going to go attack the canteen. But then yeah. I feel like across the sand, Joseph was yelling over to them. Yeah, because yeah, I guess later on it says that it's the vibrations in the ground that the stand can detect. But you know, if if Joseph's screaming like out loud, I think you would still get vibrations from that. Probably because how like sound bounces off of things, right? Yeah. Well, using those vibrations the enemy stand user is able to pinpoint iggy because iggy iggy knows what's going on he bails out of the car before it starts to go down because he's a dog he can sense things um that humans can't but then being the lazy dog that he is he just lays there in the sand and does nothing to help um which will lead into something really really good in the next episode one of my favorite moments of part three um but for now we get to see iggy stay there and the enemy stand user Enduel <laughs> yes. is uh, worried at first, then decides that the dog isn't worth the time. So yeah, that saves Iggy in that moment. Now it's you'd say that Iggy is an underdog, right? He's a lazy dog, just like our lazy dog Rigby, uh, who's laying right say. now. He was literally <laughs> snoring a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, I was looking over at him and he you know, uh, Rigby is kind of the same color scheme as Iggy. He is. So it feels like I'm looking at Iggy sleeping on the sands, right? Now. Maybe Rigby could cosplay as Iggy. For anyone who's not familiar, Rigby, our dog, is a corgi, but he's what's technically called a black-headed tricolor corgi. So he's mostly um, black fur with a little bit of white and brown in his face. So yeah, he could he could cosplay as Iggy. Yeah, maybe just color the insides of his ears yellow. Get him some blue contacts or something. Is it, aren't him, Iggy's eyes blue? <laughs> yeah, and then f- what, feed him coffee-flavored gum. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for Part 3, Episode 25, Iggy the Fool and Gebs and Duel, Part 1. So, do you think that this episode got that dog in it? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Technically, yes, it had a dog. Um, it's it's a good episode to bring us back into Stardust Crusaders. It's not the most exciting episode ever, but it does what it needs to do, which is reintroduce us to the Crusaders, reintroduce us to the goal of finding Dio, um, remind us of Holly's status, or I guess give us an update on Holly's status, um, introduce us to Iggy. And, of course, we get introduced to the next enemy stand user. So it does what it needs to do, even if it's not the most gripping episode ever. But that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I think it's still a really good episode. I think Kakyoin is unhinged for some reason. (laughs) He's just not dealing with anyone's shit today. Um, I love the immediate (laughs) chemistry, or lack thereof, between Iggy and Polnareff, because we know that that sets us up for a very interesting relationship throughout the rest of Stardust Crusaders. And, of course, we get the iconic Crusaders photo that even Jotaro smiles at when he looks at it. So, yeah, I'd say all in all, it is a solid episode. It's not the best one we're going to get. There's plenty of uh, more exciting things to look forward to in the second half. But I'm happy with the way that they started off the second half. What about you? Yeah, I think despite the aquatic chaos of the second half, 
this was a kind of mild-mannered setup episode to jumpstart the Crusaders' journey through Egypt, but it's topped with a wonderfully over-the-top introduction to the group's roughest member, Iggy. And Andul's introduction is rather subdued for the moment, and he again fits that blind warrior archetype a little too on the nose for how often it's kind of used in pop culture. But I think the material contrast between Iggy and Andul's stand abilities in the form of sand versus water kind of paves the way for a really interesting showdown in the following climax episode. Although I don't remember much of what happens in part two besides the the moment with Jotaro and Iggy that I think you alluded to earlier. Uh, But other than that, part one of this arc really does fit the setup nature of these two-part arcs, especially with a quick status check on Holly to the Crusaders trying to decipher their newest enemy, plus the premiere of part three's second OP and ED. But at the very least, what sets it apart is that we get the iconic Stardust Crusaders photograph that we display proudly upon our podcast table, although it feels like an ominous sign of things to come. But till we see this ending so cruel, on to part two for Iggy and Endul. And the fool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that kicks off the second half of Stardust Crusaders here at Strictly JoJo. There are great things to come. Some of our all-time favorite episodes are in this half of Stardust Crusaders. So I cannot wait to reach those. And of course, when the Crusaders finally battle Dio, there are some wild things that happen there. Road roller, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, but the until then, I just realized in a couple episodes, we've ha- we have Oingo Boingo. <laughs> oh my God, that's um, great. <laughs> yeah, and then one of my all-time favorite episodes of JoJo uh, with uh, Darby. Elder. Darby Sr. and Darby Jr. are great episodes (laughs) when Whole Horse and Boingo team up and Polnareff sneezes in Jotaro's face. Like, there's just so much good shit that's coming up. I'm so excited for this half. Great lines like, go ahead, Mr. (laughs) Joestar. Oh, that's a baseball. When Jotaro eats the orange. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait to review the second half. And we hope that you guys are equally excited for this latter half of Stardust Crusaders. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and get ready for some good reviews to come. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune to Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.